If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 39. We are using the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, to kind of prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus this Advent season. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, we'll read through verse 56. And once you find that, whether you're looking on your phone, an app, or whether you have a pew Bible, or you brought your own Bible, um, let's stand in honor of God and his word as I read this out loud to us. We use this time to center our hearts. We like to, we kind of joke, this is the only inerrant part of the morning. This is, the, you know, I'll say a lot of things that you might be like, look, what's going on with you, Pastor Craig? But this is our one time where we hear from the Word of God, and that's why we stand at attention to pay attention to what He has to say. So chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Let's hear God's Word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. You know, as we have talked last week, we talked about the Advent season as a season of preparation, it's a season of waiting, that Christmas actually starts on Christmas and goes 12 days after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. It ends with Epiphany, the Christmas season. This is the Advent season, a season to prepare our hearts. And as we are preparing our hearts for this time, I certainly hope that this has been a season of preparation, not just a preparation of buying gifts. That's obviously one thing that we do in this time, but just also the opportunity to reflect not necessarily our sitting in traffic and being angry and frustrated and embittered towards other people. Like, that happens. But a time like this where we can come in and just kind of tune our hearts to what God is doing. And we have decided that we're using the Gospel of Luke to tune our hearts as we go towards Christmas this season. And a little, little public service announcement. This is always something that, um, that I like to do. 
little public service announcement. If you want to read the Christmas story, if you want to read the Christmas story, don't turn to Mark or John. Only two of the Gospels share about the baby Jesus or about the birth story or the birth narrative. Uh, Matthew and Luke, those are the only two. And they both have different aims that they're trying to accomplish. Mark, Mark doesn't share about the baby Jesus. Like, um, it, it, you know, it's the, the Ricky Bobby, the story, what's the Talladega Nights? Like, praying to the baby Jesus, right? You can't do that in Mark. Mark begins with an adult John the Baptist and an adult Jesus. The Gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, right? But, but Matthew and Luke will tell the story of the birth of Jesus, and they both are trying to accomplish different things. Luke, as he tells the story of Jesus, as we talked about last week, Luke has this narrative where when something happens, at the end of the episode, someone sings a song. Last week, we looked at the song of Zechariah. The story of Zechariah begins with he's in, the, he's in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him, but eventually when the boy John is born, and he says his name is John, and his mouth is opened, he begins to sing a song. And we're going to see today, as we look, we're, we're going to see next week, we're going to see the song of the angels, as the angels come down and they sing a song to the shepherds. Um, at the week after Christmas, Jim is going to talk about the song of Simeon that he sings when he holds the baby Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the song of Mary. Something happens to Mary, the angel visits her, the information is given, she comes to visit Elizabeth, and she breaks out into song, the song of Christmas. Last week, we saw Zachariah's song, a song that cooked in him for nine months of silence. Nine months. And when his, his mouth was open, he broke out into song, and really a song that was full of um, deliverance and forgiveness and the tender mercy of God, the visitation of God. And we didn't talk about it last week, but if you read Malachi chapter 4, the last, the last chapter in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what, what Luke was reading, the last chapter Ma uh, in Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Testament, Zechariah's song almost brings that back to life, almost like a bridge between that last book of the Old Testament to now the coming of Jesus. And the song of Mary, as we look today, we're going to see there's a lot of similarities to the story of Zechariah and the story of Mary, and we're going to look today at the song of Mary, but the song of Mary is not the beginning of the story. What we read, we're going to go a little bit back and we're going to look at this and we're going to ask some questions about what is this connection between Zechariah and Mary, John and Jesus? What is the angel Gabriel doing here? And what can we learn? How can we enter into this waiting period today as we think about Mary's song? So let's turn back to Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and we'll look a little bit at the story of Mary before we get to the song of Mary. Fair enough? All right. Let's take a look. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And so Luke, in what he is accomplishing here, what is he doing? 
Well, first of all, the first thing is Gabriel was the, was the angel that delivered the message to Zechariah, and now the same Gabriel, fresh off of that delivering of that message, is now with Mary in Nazareth. So fresh off his encounter with Zechariah in the temple, he, where he tells Zechariah that Elizabeth is going to have a baby, the same angel now, with many of the same themes as Zechariah, comes to Mary. So the angel's name is Gabriel, and Mary, so here's some of the similarities. Let's talk about some of the similarities and then some of the differences. And we're going to ask, we're going to kind of land on this idea that both Zechariah and Mary, they both, they both end their encounter with the angel with a question, right? For Zechariah, how will I know this? And for Mary, um, how will this be? And they both ask a question, but there's very different results of why, what the answer to their question is. And I want to ask the question, why? Why is there a difference between Zechariah's question, which is almost identical with Mary's question? What is going on here, and what can we make of it? All right? So before we, we look at the differences, let's look at the similarities here. So the first thing that we note that Mary has a very similar encounter with the same angel Gabriel that Zechariah does, the father of John the Baptist and the mother of Jesus. Verse 28, the angel said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. If you are Roman Catholic, you grew up Roman Catholic like I did, um, you will notice that that greeting is essentially the first line of the prayer, hail Mary, full of grace, right? That greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That, that is straight out of, that, that, that gets put into Latin and then eventually into the, the Hail Mary, which is not just a football play. That's actually a prayer in the Roman Catholic tradition. Anyway, that's what, that, anyway the, some people are confused with the directionality of that influence along the way. But the one thing that, that connects, one of the things that connects Zachariah and Mary is when the angel comes to them, they're both afraid, which is standard whenever you meet an angel. She, in verse 29, was greatly troubled at the greeting and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So the angel has to assure her, as the angel has to assure Zechariah. In 130, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Which is a very similar thing that the angel says to Zechariah. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. That's what the angel says to Zechariah. So right now, the, the, the encounter with Gabriel is very similar between the two. Also similar is the announcement of a miraculous birth, right? Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, this is where we start to see the differences. And this is where Luke is doing something that is going to compare these two children the John the Baptist, John of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Jesus, born of Mary and Joseph. So the, here's, here's the differences, okay? So here are the notable differences. So Mary is not barren like Elizabeth. Elizabeth cannot have children. She's old, she has, and she's, she's past the age of bearing children. But, uh, so not like Elizabeth, but Mary is a virgin. She doesn't have a husband yet. She's only betrothed. She's not yet 
married. And Mary says as much, 134, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Basically, she says, I have not yet known a man. And, the, uh, and then in verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Same, same word of when the, the, the presence of the Lord comes upon the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The, the, the presence of the Lord overshadows the tabernacle, and that will be a similar thing that happens here. And that therefore the child to be born to you will be called holy, the Son of God. So these notable differences that we see is that it's not that Elizabeth has a husband, she simply cannot have children, and a miraculous, the miraculous conception will come by means of God bringing Zachariah and Elizabeth together, and they will have a child. She will conceive. But with Mary, it will be without spouse. She's betrothed, but she is a virgin. The, whole, the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of God will overshadow her. So it will be miraculous, but not in the same way. It will actually be more miraculous, if you will. It won't be natural. It will be supernatural. Also, another difference is the name. The angel gives a name. It's similar because the angel gives a name to Zechariah. You're going to name this baby John, which means Yahweh, the Lord, is gracious. Talked about that last week, right? Here, it says Mary, uh, the, whole, it's, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be born, will be called Holy, Son of God. The name that the, baby, that the angel gives to Mary is, you will name him Yeshua, Jesus. And the name Yeshua, Joshua, we, J, Jesus is the Greco-Romanized version of that name. That name means, does anybody know what that name means, Joshua? It means the Lord saves. So John's name is the Lord, Yohanan, the Lord is gracious. Jesus' name is the Lord saves. Another difference here is John will be called a prophet of the Most High, a prophet of the Most High, like Elijah, right? But this baby that, that Mary is going to bear will be called not prophet of the Most High, but son of the Most High. And he will not be like Elijah, he will be like David. He'll be a king, he's not going to be a priest prophet like John will be, he will actually be like, he will be priest, prophet, king, like David. He will sit on a throne. He will have a kingdom. He will reign. This baby will be a king. Look at verse 32. He will be called great. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The other thing that happens in this encounter with Mary and the angel is the angel spills the beans about Mary. Or, I'm sorry, about Elizabeth. Remember what Elizabeth does after she is told, Zachariah comes home, he can't say anything, but they conceive, right? And she goes into seclusion for five months. But the angel tells Mary, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived. She's conceived a son. In her, she, and this is her sixth month with her, who is called barren, which is when Mary will then go with haste to go see her relative Elizabeth. Now, one of the questions is, what is the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, their, re, their relatives? Um, maybe your translation says that they're cousins, okay? A um, little bit about cousins. We don't know exactly what their relationship is. 
Um, but if you go to Bethlehem today, um, as a matter of fact, I know someone in Bethlehem. He's a shop owner. His name is Johnny. And we joke with the, um, our, our group. Actually, in, um, in September, September 12th, um, our church is going to, we're going to have a trip to Israel, and we'll have a chance to go visit Johnny in Bethlehem. And, um, but Johnny's kind of, Johnny's an interesting dude. And if you go to Bethlehem, if you want to meet Christians in Bethlehem, one of the things that you're going to find out is that if you're in the same place, generation after generation, and your family is in the same place generation after generation, you're going to find that you've got a lot of cousins. As families, over time, they, they grow, and they, so the, you're going to find you have a lot of cousins. Like, for example, um, one of the things that happened a, a couple of decades ago is a famous street artist named Banksy. Does anybody know who Banksy is? That might be a little generational divide in here. That's okay. But Banksy went into Bethlehem and he did a bunch of street art on walls. And one of the most famous, one of the most famous is um, there's a guy that he's throwing a Molotov cocktail, but instead of a Molotov cocktail, it's a bouquet of flowers, right? And so Banksy has gone, he's, a lot of these, these nonviolent peace murals that he's put up, and he did it on the wall of this building. And we were, and, and what we found out is that we went to go see the wall because um, it's famous, and, um, but somebody had taken the wall, and they cut it out, and they sold the side of the wall. They sold the wall as art. So we were like, where'd it go? And Johnny said, that's my cousin's house. Anyway, all that, I, I was hoping that would hit a little bit better. Um, but everybody, everybody in Bethlehem who's a Christian, their name is either George or they're a cousin of Johnny, okay? So that's the deal with cousins. And when, when in, this, in this episode where it says that Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, this is something, like at this point, generation after generation, there's a very likely that there's some kind of connection and maybe even Mary is of some kind of priestly lineage as well, because Elizabeth is, of, is a daughter of Aaron as well. And so perhaps this is one of the places where we get the idea of Jesus as a priest, although that's not something that is really um, is held. Like the author of Hebrews says, he's not a priest according to the lineage, he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now I'm off in the weeds. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it back here. Thank you very much. All right, so all that to say is that the, this rel- she's told about Elizabeth, and she goes to visit her in haste. And so this is where uh, one of the interesting similarities sets off one of the most significant differences. And this is where Zach- this is where we get to the question about Zachariah asks, "How will I know this?" Mary asks, "How will this be?" And both of those questions are treated. One is treated as a as having no faith. And one is treated as having full faith. What the heck? What do we do with this? What is Luke doing with this? What is going on in this case? So Zechariah is told Elizabeth is going to have a baby in Luke 118. Zechariah says the angel, I said that this was the, the Whitney Houston moment, right? How will I know? How will I know? Okay? How will I know? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He says, how will I know? And he gives a reason, like, I'm old, she's old, she's never been able to have a baby, how will I know this? And one of the things about this is it's very, it's possible that he's asking for a sign. And, and the angel says, well, here's the sign, an angel will come visit you, like, um, and here's a sign, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to talk. There's your sign. There's your sign. But in verse 34, similarly, Mary is told she's going to have a baby, and she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? 
So very similar to Zechariah. Zechariah's like, how am I going to know this? I'm old. My wife is old. She's never been able to have a baby. Mary says, um, how will this be? I don't know a man. Like, I'm, I'm a virgin. But the response of the angel is dramatically different to the two. For the, for the question for Zechariah, gets him nine months of silence and rebuke for unbelief. And for Mary, the question gets her a response of grace. Why? And the answer is, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're like, you're really building this up. There are lots of ideas. There's lots of ideas. You read commentaries, you're going to hear lots of things. I'm going to give you one way, one thing that I think that Luke is doing literarily here. So one thing is this. Perhaps Zechariah is asking his question because he needs a sign in order to believe. As if, like I said, as if the angel Gabriel coming to visit you is not a sign enough. The fact that your name got picked by Lot to go offer incense in the temple is not enough. Like, what else do you need? And so maybe the, the question and the asking for a sign is a sign of unbelief. Like, I need more in order to believe. Like, you don't have enough, Zachariah? That might be the case. That might be the case. But here's the idea. With the, the implication that Zachariah's question is a request for a sign, Mary's question may simply be a question that is born out of faith. Like, okay, this is going to happen, but how will it happen? So one question is, how will I know this is true? The other question is, how is this actually going to functionally happen? Like, because I've heard the birds and bees talk, and like, it's not going to work, right? There's not going to, we don't have, the, it, it doesn't add up. So, but the implication at the end of all of this, and even if we're reading this, the implication is that Mary believes and that Zechariah does not believe. Look at 138. And Mary said, so at the end, at the end of the visit, Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word, faith. And then Elizabeth later in verse 45 says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And here, this is, where, this is where I think these two questions, so similar, is I think where Luke is making his point in the gospel. And one of the things as we see, as we, as we, as we read Mary's song, as we hear her song, we're going to get a sense of what Luke is doing with these two questions of these two people. Like, for example, Zachariah. Where does, he, where does he encounter the angel? What city is he in? Oh, come on, everybody. We were just here last week. He's in Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, the city of God. Like, have you ever, have you ever been there? And when we go there, you'll go on the Mount of Olives and you'll look down at the city and it's like, it's like choirs of angels are singing. Ah! You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's stunning. And where is he at? He's in the temple. Like if Jerusalem, if Israel is, is, a, is a country, Jerusalem is the center. The temple is the center. And then you get even the holy place. Like you get closer and closer. Zechariah is as close to God as you possibly can be. He is as close to the doorway of heaven as you possibly can be. In the place, he's a man who has been trained from his childhood to be a priest. 
Jerusalem, the temple, the priesthood, this is where you expect faith to be. This is where you would expect it. But where's Mary? She's in Nazareth. And if you, if you, were, if you were scoring this as a movie, it would be like Jerusalem, choir, symphony, the whole thing. And then you say Nazareth, and it's like single banjo. That's what you would get. And this idea that Nazareth, it, Nazareth is a small town. When I say a small town, we don't even hear the name of Nazareth until the gospel accounts. In ancient literature, Nazareth is unmentioned. Other near cities like Sephoris and, um, and Jaffa and Megiddo, those are all within like a 10-mile radius, and we hear all about them in ancient literature. We never hear about Nazareth until this account. And what does Nathaniel say about Jesus when he hears that he's from Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Like, this is, Nazareth is not the center of the spiritual universe. This is, this is not a, a priest who has been trained their whole life for service to the Lord. This is a young 13-year-old girl. This is the, that's the age of betrothal between 12 and a half and 13 and a half, according to the Mishnah. That's how old she is. She has her agents in that culture, she doesn't make her own decisions. They are all made for her. Zechariah, Zechariah is a priest. He's the guy who's going to stand on the steps of the temple and offer the ironic blessing. You would expect faith from Zechariah. Mary's a nobody from nowhere. Nobody would know if she fell off the face of the earth. But there's faith there. And this is what Luke is going to do. And when she sings her song, when she sings her song, we understand what is going on in her heart. We understand what Luke is trying to do. And this idea... For Luke, when Jesus comes, there will be reversal of fortune. Where you expect faith, you will not find it. But where you would not expect it, all the places you wouldn't expect it, God starts to spring up new work of faith. And there's this reversal of fortune. There's unexpected faith. A priest in Jerusalem privileged to offer incense in the holy place, trained in service, mature, privileged to be in the presence of the Lord. There's doubt. A teenager in Nazareth, humble estate, decisions are made for her, a nobody, and there's faith. And what we find is that God's grace is for the humble. God's grace is for the humble. By definition, receiving unmerited favor is for those who don't deserve it. For the humble. And this is where, this is where Mary, when she visits Elizabeth, and see, this is the thing. Zechariah might not get that at the beginning, but he gets it after nine months. 
And he sings a song that is so beautiful because he has understood, the, he talks about the tender mercy of God because he's understood that God doesn't have to visit in a temple and a lifetime of the lot being cast in your favor and you get to go in and you get to be close. He understands that nine months of silence is a place to encounter the God of Israel. And his wife Elizabeth understands when Mary walks in that her Lord is present and it's not Mary. She has special insight. And this is one thing that reminds us that as we think about the Gospels, we think about the good news, as we prepare our own hearts for the coming of Jesus, that not everyone who hears the message of the coming of Jesus hears it as good news. Not everyone who hears the message of the coming of Jesus hears it as good news. And Mary's song reminds us that the coming of Jesus will reverse the fortunes of many. And Mary says, and I love that Connor sang this song, Mary begins with this one word, magnify. And that's why her song is called the Magnificant. Zachariah's song begins with the word blessed, and that's why it's called the Benedictus. And that's because everything sounds better in Latin, I suppose right? But Mary's song, the Magnificat, she starts, she says, magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now listen to what she says in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who has done mighty things, he who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary is the definition of being of what this translation says, a humble estate, a humble position. Another word for this is someone in a humiliated state. We might think today someone from a, in a humble position would be someone who is powerless, someone who can't make their own decisions, someone who relies on other people for everything, someone who is not in control of the fate of their life. And in this day and age, in that day and age, she had no control over the fate of her life. There were other people, family members would decide that, and beyond that, there were larger clan leaders that would have been in charge of that, and beyond that, there's larger political forces that are in charge of that. And then you throw the Romans in there, you got Roman guards running around, like there would have been all kinds of other things that are more powerful than Mary. Mary is powerless. He has looked on the powerlessness of his servant. But for now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is of humble position, but she will be remembered. She will be called blessed. blessed. And God, God who is mighty, will act on her behalf. There's a continued reversal of fortune. Look at verse 50 of her song. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. For he has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. So the proud, the proud will be scattered. But those who fear will receive mercy. The proud will be scattered. 
And you have this, this juxtaposition of, of the proud, the mighty, those who are of privileged state, those who are, are empowered, those who are of agency, and then you have those who are of a humble estate, who have nothing, the empty, the powerless. Verse 32, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. <laughs> Caesar, Herod, you are, you're going down. And he has exalted those of humble estate. And of course, this is at the end of this story, or at least the middle of the story, the, the climactic middle, where Jesus is killed on a Roman cross, being delivered over to the Romans by the powerful in Jerusalem, that God is going to remind them, the man that you have humiliated, you might be on a throne now, but he will be raised up and you will be brought down. And Mary is the first of this reversal of fortune. Elizabeth, the first fruits of the reversal of fortune. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry, but the rich he has sent away empty. The hungry are filled, and the rich are empty. And Luke's point in this, it might not be necessarily, and, and, and I don't want to miss this, because there is a socioeconomic flavor of this, right? There is a sense of like, people who actually have means, there's something going on that they are not automatically favored by God. It's not just a sign of God's blessing. It could be a sign of their greed. It could be a sign of their power hungriness. It's not just that they are the ones that are blessed by God. That there are other, and, and just because someone is poor does not mean that they are blessed by God. What we're going to find is that this idea that God's grace, that faith, might be found in unexpected places. You would expect faith among the privileged in Israel. You find doubt there. You might expect doubt and cynicism among those who are of a lowly estate, but there you find faith. And what we're going to find here, Luke reminds us that those who come to God confident in themselves, bragging of their own wealth, their own skills, their own abilities, that God may simply be content to leave them their own power. And their own skill, their own money, their own abilities. God will say, look, you can have your own power. But that power will bring you low. There's true glory. There's true glory to be had. And it is not in your power and your glory. If you stand in the presence of God, relying on your own accomplishments, your own status, your own fame, I think... Today, on social media, you talk about influencers and people who are building a platform for themselves, and you see this kind of, I mean, I, again, st uh, striving for power, uh, striving for influence, and I'm not, no one in here is immune to that sort of thing. We all like to be listened to, right? No one wants to be obscure, but this idea that if we, if you stand before God and you say, well, God, I've got 40,000 followers, God's going to say, you can have your followers. But there might not be grace. Like, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. 
And what we find is that he has filled the hungry, but the rich he has sent away. God's mercy, God's grace is for those of humble estate. Those who come to God with nothing but their own asking. In a message on prayer a few months ago, I talked about this idea that when we come to God in prayer, we don't come to barter with him. We don't come to make a deal with God. The only currency we have, the only currency we have with God is asking. That's the only currency we have. We just ask, we ask because we have nothing to offer him he does not already have. He's not impressed. He's not impressed with our wealth, with our status, with our followers. All these people listen to me. I don't really care. What I care is if you will ask in faith. If you will recognize your humble position and you will do what Mary does, which says, what's her first thing? Magnify, not me, magnify the Lord. Christ be magnified. Be mag, not me. Don't follow me. Follow him. God's mercy, God's grace is for those who fall on grace, who come to God with nothing but their own asking. And Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is a reminder that God chooses a nobody in a nowhere town to pour out his favor. And even today, 2,000 years later, we're talking about Mary. Look, I grew up, we're talking about Mary, right, as blessed. All generations will call her blessed. I grew up Roman Catholic, and there's something for me that, like, I think that maybe in the Roman Catholic tradition, they've gone a little far with Mary. She was the one God chose. Nobody from Nazareth. And we're reminded by Luke, and eventually we're reminded by the Apostle Paul. That when Christ died, it was at just the right time. What was the right time? Christ died for the ungodly while we were still weak. While we were yet sinners. While we were still enemies. That for God, when we come to God, God says, look, if you come to me, you are not everything you think you are. That you are weak. There's, you're weak. You're powerless. And God says, look, I am happy. I am, I am actually looking to pour out my grace. I'm looking. God is actively looking to pour out his compassion and his mercy and his grace. He is looking for that. But if you come to him with pride, he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Read Luke. It's those of humble estate. It's Mary. Zechariah eventually gets it and he confesses, yes, I am not what I thought I was. And faith is obviously evident in him. It just takes nine months for him to come to that realization. For Mary, she doesn't need to be convinced she's a nobody. She knows she And for Luke, there's a reminder. God is looking to pour out his grace. 
moving towards this world. God wants to pour out his grace. He pours it out on those of a humble position, those who will say, I am weak, I am a sinner. In my heart, I am an enemy of God, but I I will receive his grace and I will not presume that he has to give it to me. Reminded by Luke, by Paul, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies, while we were sinners, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Mary reminds us that if we come to God weak, admitting our failures, admitting our hostilities, falling on his grace and mercy, Jesus comes near. Jesus was born out of Mary, out of her humble estate. But if we come to him on the basis of what we can offer God, infatuated with our own place in society, our own place of privilege, infatuated with our own skill, our own success, or our own influence, God says, I can't give you grace. There's no grace to be given. You're earning it all. And so as we come, as we prepare, as we prepare for this Advent season, we prepare for the coming of Jesus. We have to look at Mary, we have to look at Zechariah, and we ask, where will we find faith? God asked this question. Even Jesus asked this question. Will he find faith on this earth? Will he find those of humble position who will admit their weakness? Or will he simply find the powerful and those clawing for influence? I I got to say, this last, over, just in case you didn't know this, we had, we're having a pandemic. Does anybody know that? And there was a, like an election year last year, and there's a pandemic, and there's all kinds of things. And if you watch cable news, like, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and each side thinks it's for different reasons, okay? All right. And there's a lot of just grabbing for power and influence. The grabbing for power and influence. In my life, look, I, in, I, I feel like I'm getting old because I'm like, I'm like, kids these days are like, it's worse now than it's ever been before. And I don't know if that's particularly true. You look at history, like there've been times where it's been worse, probably like, like it's, it, it, there's been some bad times, like, you know, World War II and now you read history, you're like, armies would come through, like they're bad people in all eras, right? But we are in, we're in a particular time where there is, there is such a grasping for power and influence. And it's not just at the highest levels of governments, it's everywhere. Social media has allowed that grabbing for power and influence to go everywhere. Everybody seems to be grabbing for power and influence or a bullhorn or something. And the thing is, and even this is, even the church isn't immune to this. We're, there's all kinds of grabbing for bullhorns of power and influence. And what I'm just saying is that as we prepare our, prepare our hearts for this Christmas, like, Let's just take a humble position before God and each other. Let's just take a humble position and just say, God, yeah, it'd be great to be influential, but really, we just want you to be most influential. We want you to be most powerful. We want you to be magnified. We just want to sing this song like Mary did in the surprise and wonder of an event by being visited by an angel to say, you're going to bear the Messiah. She's like, why me? And he's like, exactly. Why you? It doesn't ma- you're not the thing. Magnify me. And she says, I, will, I want my soul to magnify the Lord. 
I'm a nobody. And as we are, just as, as we just, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But as we're in this moment, it just, it might be just time for your own self-report, your own confession of just like, God, there are places in my life where I'm just, I'm striving for something that may or might not, may or may not be mine to have, but it certainly is yours. And I just want to say, Lord, I want to humble myself. I, one of my good friends, he preached a sermon one time, and it was, um, humble yourself before the Lord, or he will do it for you. Right? And we have an opportunity just this morning to just humble ourselves before the Lord. God, God has a good knack of humbling all of us. We could, we've all had those moments, and we all will probably have more in our lives where God will humble us, but we get to choose to humble ourselves and to simply echo this prayer of Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. I am in a humble position. So as we sing this song, just as a chance to respond, you know, you might even want to take a posture of humility, maybe on your knees or just your head bowed or whatever, just a, some way to just communicate to the Lord, just say in your heart, God, I just want to humble myself. I want to cease my striving, and I want you to be magnified in this season. So let's do that. Father, we come to you now. We come to you th this morning just mindful of the world that we live in. It's just a world of grasping and striving, and we get caught up in it, Father. And we want to confess it. We want to come to you this morning and we want to say, look, there's no skill, there's no ability, there's no wealth that you do not already have. You don't need it from us. As a matter of fact, it's a, simply a gift from you. It's a blessing from you. But we want to follow Jesus' model of self-emptying love. That we would empty ourselves and wait for you to vindicate to wait for you to pour out your grace. So Father, as we sing this song, just help our hearts to confess to you and to put ourselves in a humble place. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.